this is Ismail welcoming you to the 2354th edition of the Enfield Talking Newspaper. Dateline, 10th of August 2023. The readers this week are Alison, Jean and Sally with Bill on the controls. Editing, production and distribution is by the team. Our title music is Country Rock Poker, composed by Pat Prilly, Fernand Bouillon, Harry Bruer. It is performed by Jean-Jacques Perret and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent, the Enfield Dispatch, the Over 50s Forum Newsletter and the Enfield Society News and are their copyright. For the week beginning 14th of August 2023, the sunrise time is 05.32 and the sunset time is 20.38. We also have a special notice from Enfield Vision. And it says, we are a group of visually impaired people determined to improve the environment and to reduce the everyday problems of blind and partially sighted people. We are registered with the Charity Commission as an organisation with the specific aim of promoting the well-being of visually impaired people living in Enfield. We hold a dropping morning on the third Thursday in each month from 10am to 1pm at Park Avenue Resource Centre, Bushill Park, Enfield. Our exercise classes are now running again. Here are the dates for the next few months. So we have Thursday the 17th of August 2023, Thursday the 21st of September 2023, Thursday the 19th of October 2023 and Thursday the 16th of November 2023. For th- further information please contact us on 0208 Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane DeJersey on 07899-854582. She is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. Now, Jean will read the lead story. This is from the Enfield Dispatch Written by Simon Allen. Council confirms Spurs lease of White Webbs Park despite hundreds of objections. Enfield Council has been accused of riding roughshod over the wishes of local people after vowing to press on with plans to lease part of White Webbs Park to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. The council received 788 objections to its plans to hand more than half of the Green Belt Parkland to the Premier League Club, whose existing training ground is adjacent to Whitewebs on a 25-year lease. It had given formal notice of the proposal last December when it invited public comments, although it says some of the many hundreds received were duplications. The plan to lease White Webs to Spurs, which wants wants to create a women's and girls' training academy in the northeast of the park on part of what used to be a municipal golf course, has caused ongoing controversy since it was revealed two years ago. 
Local campaigners now say they will challenge the decision in court. On the 14th of December last year, the Civic Center published a notice of its intention to dispose of the land, allowing one month for objections. The hundreds of comments received raised concerns ranging from ranging from a lack of consultation to reduce public access to the land, loss of wildlife habitats, and claims the £2 million value of the White Web's leaps lease represents a bad deal given that Tottenham Hotspur is one of the wealthiest football clubs in the country. Despite these objections, a report published by the council last month revealed it intends to go ahead with the lease, claiming it offers significant benefits such as a new nature reserve and the rewilding of part of the golf course. Conservative Councillors in Anfield have long opposed the leasing of the park to Tottenham Hotspur. Reese Fox, who represents White Webb's ward, said, Sadly, this represents the Labour Council riding roughshod over the very clearly declared wishes of local people. The decision of the Council to ignore local opinion and their own responsibilities is the height of arrogance. Spurs, apparently on verge of coining in over $100 million from the sale of their best player, there are rumors Harry Kane will be sold to Bayern Munich, are gaining access to the beauty of white webs for next to nothing. Councillor Fox said that when the proposed lease was debated at full council, the anger from residents was palpable. He added, we will continue fighting this disgrace by all means necessary. White Webb's Park must be saved for public use. All three conservative councillors representing White Webb's ward submitted a call-in request to the Overview and Scrutiny Committee last month, which was due to be debated at the meeting on 27th of July after the dispatch went to press. They were set to argue that the decision to agree the lease with Tottenham Hotspur should be reconsidered because the council holds the park in trust and and as part of this trust is expected to maintain open access to the parkland. The authority is also facing questions over the financial basis for the closure of the municipal golf course that formerly occupied this site. The course was first closed amid the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, but the council chose to close it permanently in the spring of 2021, a few months before Tottenham Hotspur was announced as a preferred bidder for the lease. The council initially stated that the course course lost nearly £1.2 million in these six years to 2029 2019 to 2020, based on a full-cost accounting approach. But the authorities' latest White Wipes report now states that the basis of the cashable savings as a result of closing the golf course, which means excluding overheads and capital charges, it only made £115,000 loss. 
The report adds, although the calculated loss is significantly reduced, the golf club was nevertheless, nevertheless being run at a loss. The current proposal, if approved, would bring a financial benefit to the council of £2 million and an increase in business rates. Sean Wilkinson, chair of the Friends of Wedwebs Park, said at first sight it could appear that the reason for marketing White Webbs Park was based on incompetence and falsehoods. Further details of the football club's plan for the site have also been revealed. They include proposals to work with the councils and stakeholders to establish one of the country's first habitat banks to provide for the long-term stewardship of White Webb's wood. The proposed training academy, which still needs planning permission, would cover around 18% of the overall park. Enfield Wash artist Lenny Vavarides urges local people and organisations to do more to tackle the scourge of street litter. I don't remember when street litter became normal, but it is normal now. London was reported as having the highest incidences of fly-tipping across the whole country between 2020 and 2021 because people do this, they dump their litter. Social sensibilities are obviously not enough to stop that rubbish from dropping out of their hands and into our neighbourhoods. According to stats from the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, there were 20 fly-tipping incidents per 1,000 people in England on average in 2020-21. But London had almost double that with 43 per 1,000 people. But does anyone know why more people are litter dumping so aggressively these days? Is it really because people have lost their capacity to care or is it more serious than apathy? Dropping litter is a sign of an eroding society. But what is causing it? Can the decline of our environment mirror that of our human consciousness or is it the decline of our consciousness that is causing more litter pollution? These are the questions I ask myself because I want to understand why people dump litter where they live. Fly-tipping is linked to economic factors. Some people will do it to avoid paying commercial waste collection fees or because private landlords want to pack as many people as possible into their accommodation without providing facilities for the extra refuse. Other people dump because they want one thing less to worry about or maybe they don't care about the effects on the environment because that seems too far removed from their daily lives. It could also be a lack of green education or a lack of self-respect or it could even be even more serious than that. The National Library of Medicine states that Apathy is a common feature of depression and cognitive disorders and is associated with impairment in executive function. The effects on the environment are obvious and long-lasting, but what about the effects on our mental health? It's like no one is pointing out the connection that people drop litter because they are apathetic and that they are apathetic 
because of their mental health and that the environment has an impact on your mental health. It's like we are stuck in a trap of perpetually making things worse for ourselves and others. Journalist and former Greenpeace board member Ros Coward said in 2018, Research shows that litter affects people's feelings of well-being and safety. Littered streets feel abandoned and consequently their inhabitants do too. Litter ruins people's enjoyment of the countryside and makes open spaces feel like waste grounds. Maybe people drop litter because they feel abandoned or alone or unable to cope and cannot care about their actions or the implications of them because they are not able to care about themselves. So what can we do to stop it? Most waste is made up of packaging so it makes sense to pass the problem on to the big businesses that manufacture it. Big business needs to invest in biodegradable packaging and be charged a pollution tax if they don't comply. Urgent legislation is needed around waste solutions for homes in multiple occupation, HMOs, and landlords should pay extra to provide adequate waste management for their tenants. HMOs wouldn't be needed in the first place, though, if councils invested in real social housing instead of letting private landlords monopolise the market. As always, more recycling bins around congested areas and on high streets are needed, together with more drop-off recycling centres. Visible warnings and signage about litter fines are also needed. Fly-tipping is an illegal activity. If you see it in action, report it. These suggestions won't necessarily reduce the impact on our streets overnight. But litter doesn't only end up on the high street. It ends up in our ocean, in our food, in our water supply and even in our bodies, as well as impacting on our mental health. So even if you don't see it dumped on your high street, it will still find its way into your body. We know all this, but knowing still isn't enough. It is easier to change our behaviour and habits than it is to change the world around us. While one person cannot change much, they still have the power to at least not make things uglier. Where we spend our money is the only immediate power we have. Think twice before buying fast fashion made of polyester. Plastic is released into our water supply every time these materials are washed. Single-use items like bottled water or take-out coffee cups are also ending up in our oceans and slowly affecting fertility too. Consumption is the ugliest part of capitalism. And I just want to try and live beautifully. Please ask yourself what small change you can make to make where you live more beautiful and to commit to your own mini-intervention. The following story is taken from the Enfield Over 50s Forum newsletter. Heated debate on pipes. 
We have been very surprised to learn from Enfield Climate Action Forum, NCAF, that a 23-kilometre-long underground network of insulated pipes is due to be installed the length and breadth of Enfield over the next few years. Their purpose? To convey the water that carries waste heat from the new Edmonton incinerator, renamed the District Heating Energy Centre in Edmonton Eco Park to homes in Meridian Water, Upper Edmonton, Ponders End, Oakwood, Arners Grove, Cockfosters and more. Even, we understand, to other boroughs. NCAF lobbied hard to prevent the expansion of the incinerator and continues to highlight the negative effects it will have on air quality and the environment, especially in Edmonton, the most deprived part of the borough of Enfield. The waste heat comes from burning rubbish in the incinerator, which releases 700,000 tonnes of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere yearly, polluting the atmosphere and intensifying the climate and ecological crises. NCAF says that small-scale district heat networks are not necessarily a bad thing, but it has seen evidence that a district heat network of this sort will be vastly bigger than is usually the case if it goes ahead as seems to be planned. By making thousands of homes across the borough dependent on this heat, the incinerator will need to be continuously fed, despite the fact we are reducing our waste UK-wide. This suggests that waste will need to be brought in from other boroughs to keep the heat flowing. The immediate effect on the community will be the roadworks involved, the consequent changes to bus timetables and traffic flow, on top of considerable existing congestion, all of which will cause immense disruption to the communities affected. We can see this already at Edmonton Green, with huge roadworks, one-way traffic and bus diversions along Plevna Road, just behind the shopping centre. Energetic, spelt with a K, Lee Valley Heat Network Operating Company Limited, applied for planning permission for the 23-kilometre network and the first 7-kilometre was awarded by Enfield's planning committee on the 28th of September 2022. The wards affected are Upper Edmonton, Edmonton Green, Lower Edmonton, Jubilee, Ponders End, Southbury and Carterhatch. We have invited the Council to speak to forum members and or write an article for the next issue of Forum Focus and we will be monitoring this closely. And now an article from the Enfield Dispatch. Cost of living event criticised for costing £12,000. A City Hall event in which Sadiq Khan and Martin Lewis offered advice to Londoners on the cost of living crisis has been criticised for costing too much. Conservatives on the London Assembly said the event's £12,621 price tag was evidence of the Labour mayor spending taxpayers' money to promote himself in a publicity stunt. 
A spokesperson for the mayor said Khan makes no apology for doing everything he can to support Londoners with rising bills and costs and pointed out that the event was watched by thousands of people. The amount of money spent on the event, which was held back in February, was revealed via a written question to the mayor sent by Emma Best, the Tories' deputy leader at City Hall. The answer from Khan's team revealed that Martin Lewis, founder of Money Saving Expert Advice website, was not paid for his participation at the event and instead donated his time to support Londoners. It said the bulk of the cost was for the stage and technical production costing £9,517.24 and the remainder covering accessibility, uh, BSL palantypist, which was £2,262, security costing £153.84 and catering costing £688.33. The event memorably included an intervention from Lewis on Khan's plan to expand the ultra-low emission zone, ULES, with the money-saving expert telling the mayor, the timing is pretty tough. To do it this year amidst a cost of living crisis. Shortly afterwards, audience member Angie Donnelly heckled Khan, saying people won't be able to deal with the stress of the daily £12.50 charge faced by the non-compliant vehicles. According to Transport for London, those vehicles are around 1 in 10 seen driving in outer London. Commenting on the event's costs, Best said, Sadiq Khan's publicity stunt with Martin Lewis went spectacularly wrong. When he was challenged on the cost of living impact of his ULES expansion plans by the audience and by Martin Lewis himself. Now we find out that taxpayers have paid over £12,000 for the event. Instead of helping Londoners with the cost of living, Sadiq Khan would rather spend taxpayers' money attempting to promote himself, as always. A spokesperson for Khan said in response, The mayor makes no apologies for doing everything he can to support Londoners with the cost of living crisis, including ensuring they help receive, receive help sorry, on how to manage their bills and costs. This event provided expert advice to hundreds of people in person with thousands more watching online and stalls at the event promoted uh, Sadiq's wider support for London strugglers, Londoners sorry, struggling with the soaring cost of living including partnerships with Citizens Advice, the Energy Saving Trust, Thrive London and Debt Free Advice. I have a happy article from the Enfield Independent. Tally one step ahead raising charity cash. 12-mile walk to remember grandparents. Excuse me. Schoolgirl Tally Bolchover went that extra mile, or rather an extra 12 miles, to raise money for the charity that looked after both her grandfathers at the end of their lives. On her coming-of-age 12th birthday, she did a sponsored walk from her home in Enfield to the Marie Curie End-of-Life Charity Office in Battersea. Tally set off at 8 a.m. with her parents and got to the charity in Nine Elms at 3.15 p.m. to be met by staff cheering her on on her final stretch. She took on the challenge as part of the charity fundraising element of her Jewish bat mitzvah. 
Tally was brilliant during the walk, her proud mum, Janie, said. She didn't moan once the whole time. She wanted. She knew she wanted to set herself a challenge as part of her tzaddika, giving to charity, and it made sense to raise money for Marie Curie, which looked after both her grandpas before they died. Their nurses supported us and were there for our family when we needed them most, so this was an opportunity to give back. The family originally hoped to raise 500 pounds, but their Just Giving page has reached now almost four times that. Marie Curie nurses and healthcare assistants looked after 46,000 people last year alone. The charity support services were used by more than a million were used more than a million times. It, its community fundraiser, its community fundraiser, Tracy Ananzito, said. Tally is an inspiration. She's only 12, but set herself a huge challenge and accomplished it while smashing her fundraising target. It's thanks to fundraisers like Tally and her parents that we can offer care to people and their families affected by terminal illness. The charity provides care to patients at home or in one of its nine hospices around the country. It offers bereavement support with a free helpline with information on everything from managing day-to-day terminal illness to planning for end of life, or help if someone needs a safe space to talk or guidance on their personal situation. Callers are paired with a volunteer offering a listening ear and emotional support. Calls are free from landlines and mobile phones on 0800 090 Oh, well done, young lady. This is from the Enfield Dispatch, uh, celebrating Edmonton's social revolution. Linda Brennan introduces her play Bread and Roses, which is inspired by historic events. Come along to the Living Room Library in 4th Street next month and you will find yourself transported back to Edmonton in 1915, which you could be forgiven for thinking was the epicentre of a social revolution. Bread and Roses, performed by Enfield People's Theatre, tells the story of the 1915 Edmonton rent strike. One year into the First World War, there was a national shortage of ammunition, so munitions factories sprung up across Britain. Rages were double the usual pay, and workers flocked to work there. But unscrupulous landlords saw their chance increasing the rent and leading to hundreds of brutal evictions. Thousands of women across the country took the law into their own hands and organised massive rent strikes, which spread like wildfire from Glasgow to Bristol, Birmingham and to Edmonton. The women strikers were victorious and the first Rent Restriction Act was brought into force in 1916. Bread and Roses tells this historic story, but alongside also tells stories from our present housing emergency. A community play can't blossom without a community. To create the show, we ran drama workshops, hosted group discussions 
and conducted interviews about the housing crisis. We'd like to say a big thank you to the staff at Four Street Library for welcoming us to use their rehearsal space. We are also thrilled to be working in partnership with the local community interest company, Everyone Loves Music, and are delighted that so many young people have written their own songs and will perform them as part of the play. Led by Elizabeth Hart, the performances by the young people will be some of the highlights of the show. Bread and Roses is directed by Shirley Mason, written by myself, Linda Brennan, and has a great team of actors and singers. We can't wait for you to join us. Audiences are invited to come along early to relax, glass in hand, and listen to Leszek Kumirat's play us in with his piano before the play starts. We also invite you to sing along with a Marie Lloyd song and hum to Willie McBride. Enfield People's Theatre is proud to have been granted funding for this play by the Untold Edmonton Programme, funded by National Lottery Heritage Fund and managed by Enfield Council. While tickets are free, numbers are limited so it is essential you book either in person at 4th Street Library or via Eventbrite on the link below. Bread and Roses is showing at 4th Street Library on Friday the 22nd of September at 7.30, on Saturday the 23rd of September at 7.30 and on Sunday the 24th of September at 3pm. To book via Eventbrite, Right, visit eventbrite.co.uk forward slash e forward slash bread hyphen and hyphen roses. James Cracknell writes for the Dispatch about major changes to Enfield parliamentary constituencies. New seats called Southgate and Wood Green and Edmonton and Winchmore Hill will come into effect at next general election. The Boundary Commission for England, BCE, has decided to go ahead with its plans to create a new Southgate and Wood Green parliamentary constituency, despite admitting the change has been heavily opposed. In its final proposals, now due to be enforced ahead of next year's expected general election, a new Edmonton and Winchmore Hill constituency is also formed, with Enfield North remaining largely unchanged from its present boundaries. While BCE has been working on its redrawing of constituency boundaries for several years in an attempt to see MPs more fairly distributed across the UK and to account for population changes, the plan to create a Southgate and Wood Green seat was only revealed for the first time last December. A public consultation followed and BCE admits that it faced opposition to the idea of uniting voters in Enfield and Harrogate along the Piccadilly line because it would break community ties in both boroughs. Enfield Southgate is a famously marginal seat and was held by the Conservative Party as recently as 2017, 
but merging it with wood green seems likely to make it a safe labour seat in future. BCE's final report published last month stated, In the borough of Enfield, our revised proposals were heavily opposed for a number of reasons. In objecting to our reconfiguration of Enfield Southgate across three constituencies, one of which would extend into Harringay to create a Southgate and Wood Green constituency which crossed borough boundaries and the A406, respondents told us that there was little community of interest spanning such a long and thin area. Over in Edmonton, the Winchmore Hill, Highfield and Grange Park wards in Western Enfield are now being added to the constituency, which BCE announced would be renamed Edmonton and Winchmore Hill as a result. It means that the borough's most deprived and least deprived areas will be united under a single MP, which could also make it a less safe seat for the Labour Party. Enfield North is the least affected by BCE's boundary changes, but the final proposals to see the addition of Ponder's End to the seat, while Grange Park is in turn removed to join Edmonton. Enfield Southgate MP Bambos Charalambus said, The new boundary will see my constituency joined with Bounds Green, Knoll Park, White Hart Lane and Woodside Wards in Harringay, and I look forward to meeting residents from these areas and representing them in Parliament if elected. The proposals will also see the current Enfield Southgate seat lose Winchmore Hill, Grange Park and Highfield wards to a new Edmonton and Winchmore Hill constituency. I will be sad to lose these wards, having built very strong relationships and friendships with schools, businesses and residents in this er these areas. The Boundary Commission did reflect on evidence received during the consultation, suggesting that Grange Park and Winchmore Hill wards should be kept together in the same constituency. This proposal has been adopted by including these wards in a new Edmonton and Winchmore Hill constituency. Enfield North MP Feral Clark said, I am really pleased to see minimal changes in the Boundary Commission's final recommendations. Enfield North will continue as a constituency by name and by the area it represents. The only major change we have in the final recommendations is the inclusion of Ponder's End in Enfield North. This makes sense in terms of historical, industrial and community precedent. Edmonton O'Kama did not respond to requests for of comment. And now another article from the Enfield Dispatch. One in eight London families going without essentials. Around one in eight households of children in London say they are going without essentials such as food, electricity or gas, new polling has revealed. The survey, conducted by YouGov and commissioned by City Hall, has highlighted how the continuing impact of the cost of living crisis on Londoners is being particularly felt by families with children. The poll found that among all Londoners, around 8% report that they are going without essentials like power, heating or meals. 
When the data is broken down into households with or without children, the figure for families without children drops slightly to 7%. But among families with children, the proportion saying they are going without the basics rises to 13%, roughly one in eight of those households. The poll also showed almost half of London households with children, 49%, think that they will struggle to pay for their regular household food shop within the next six months. In addition, some 17% of parents and carers say they are already using more credit or going into debt, including overdrafts, loans, credit or store cards or missing payments. London Mayor Sadiq Khan said the data highlighted the urgency of his free holiday meals programme, which is expected to provide around 10 million free holiday meals to low-income families across the capital over the next year. It is simply appalling that so many families are struggling to put food on the table due to the spiralling cost of living, Khan said. That is why, once again, I've stepped in with emergency funding to help those most in need during the school holidays. I'm proud that we've provided more than three million meals so far and will be providing millions more to help hundreds of thousands of Londoners throughout the summer break. It cannot be right that in a city as prosperous as ours, so many people are faced with impossible choices to try to feed their families. As mayor, I will continue to do all I can to support Londoners and urge the government to make full use of its powers to stop children going hungry as we build a fairer city for all. Commenting in July on the adequacy of the UK system of benefits and cost of living payments, a government spokesman said, We know people are struggling, which is why we have a plan to halve inflation and are providing record financial support worth an average £3,300 per household. On top of this, we have raised benefits including universal credit in line with inflation, increased the national living wage and are helping households with food, energy and other essential costs. We believe that the best route out of poverty is through work, which is why we are helping millions more return to work with the £3.5 billion package providing more work coach support and more help for the sick and disabled. A recent announcement the Trust for London found that more than 3.5 million Londoners, including 1 million children, live on an income below what is needed for a basic standard of living. This is from the Enfield Independent, New Clean School Route for Our Children by Ben Raza. A new school street and clean air route has been launched in Upper Edmonton, the first in the borough to operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week throughout the year. The route on Grove Street outside St. John and St. James's Church of England primary school, is part of a wider regeneration project around 4th Street, Angel Edmonton, funded through the Mayor of London's Good Growth Fund. School streets ban drop-off and pickups outside schools, reducing pollution and encouraging children to walk or cycle to school. 
but one criticism is that they only reduce pollution during school hours, whereas this scheme will work all day, every day. The area will also benefit from improved access to the new affordable workspaces for young people at the recently launched Angel Yard. The school had a day of celebration to mark the completion of the works and to highlight the benefits of the school street and clean air route will bring to the area. Pupils joined Councillor Rick Jewell, Cabinet Member for the Environment, in seeing a presentation from architects of the project on how the students' ideas contributed towards the school street design. And youngsters then enjoyed their annual summer fair later, with activities including a scavenger hunt at the school street and a smoothie bike where children peddled to make themselves a fruit drink. <laughs> Councillor Jewell said we are creating a greener Enfield and tackling air pollution by introducing more school streets in the borough. School streets help make walking and cycling to school safer, by cleaning up air around schools and stopping dangerous levels of traffic. We've delivered 19 school streets so far and will continue planning more in areas where they are needed the most. We will always work closely with parents and schools along with nearby residents as we progress the schemes in the near future. As part of the project, an active travel route between the junction of Grove Street with 4th Street and the railway overbridge at Joyce Avenue will improve accessibility and connectivity of the active travel network. The route will provide an opportunity for a potential future connection with Silver Street Overground Station in the north Meridian Water in the east, and North Middlesex Hospital to the west. Uh, this is a report in the Independent on Enfield Town Football Club. Enfield Town began the 2023-24 Ishmian League Premier Division campaign on Saturday, having ended pre-season on a winning note. Gavin McPherson's men hosted Concord Rangers this weekend after claiming a 2-1 win over Mark Stimson's Grays Athletic for a fourth successive victory. And McPherson was pleased to see his side come through a physical test, telling the club website, Stimo's sides are always competitive. That side of the game is perhaps something we are short on. People like to see the football played, but 15 to 20 points a season will be won out of possession when you need to stand up and be counted. I appreciate we are not set up to play that way, but in a way, this was the sort of game I wanted. Goalkeeper Reese Forster was injured during warm-up after slipping in very wet conditions, with Addie Connolly taking up the gloves and Grays opened the scoring on 33 minutes when Sally Buchanan netted at the near post after Kyle Bailey's error. Town were back on terms two minutes into the second half, though, as Scott Thomas fired home a stunning 25-yard effort, and Sam Youngs netted the winner on the hour mark 
with a cheeky back heel finish after a curling cross from recent signing Carlos Garcia Velasco. The Spanish right back began his career in the fifth tier in Spain with CDA Naval Camaro and initially joined on a dual registration with Welling Garden City towards the back end of last season. I was a bit grumpy at half-term, which is not how I am very often, added McPherson, whose side head to Potter's Bar Town on Tuesday, the 15th of August. We have to look after ourselves a little bit better when things get a bit more physical and be better retaining possession. But two very good goals. We could have had more and the second half was a really good step forward from where we've been. Enfield ensured their progress in the FA Cup with a win over Coggeshall Town on Sunday. Aaron Green and Sam Bittick netted either side of the break to secure a 2-0 victory in their extra-preliminary round tie at Woodside Park. And it means Jamie Curitan's men will head to Leighton Town in the preliminary round on the weekend of August the 19th stroke 20th after starting their Ishmian North campaign at home against Grey's Athletic on Saturday. And the following news story is taken from the Enfield Dispatch online. An illegal rave at White Webb's Park was attended by hundreds of people before being shut down by police on Sunday morning, that is the 6th of August. The event began late on Saturday but continued well into the daylight hours of Sunday morning before the revellers were told to disperse when local residents alerted the Metropolitan Police and Enfield Council. Loud, thumping music could be heard across a wide area around the park for several hours and the event left behind a large amount of litter and drugs paraphernalia that had to be cleared up on Sunday afternoon with help from Council Park staff. The Metropolitan Police had received information suggesting an unlicensed music event was being organised at Trent Park and promptly issued a dispersal order for the Cockfosters Park on Friday and through the weekend. However, it's thought that this prompted organisers to switch the event to Whitewebs Park instead. Sean Wilkinson, chair of the Friends of White Webs Park, said, White Webs is a haven for wildlife and the sounds of nature, unique in Enfield. Users from all over the borough come here for peaceful and quiet recreation. The park does not have the facilities for opportunist activities such as this rave, which disturbs wildlife and leaves behind detritus harmful to the environment and park users. There were reports and complaints about the loud noise from residents south of the park from 2am until about 9.30am on the Sunday morning. I am grateful for the response from council officials and from the police who oversaw the closure of the event and the collection and removal of a large amount of rubbish. A regular user of the park posted on social media on Sunday to warn neighbours If anyone is wondering what the thumping music was all through the night and this morning around Whitewebs, and perhaps you got woken up in the process, 
It was an illegal rave about 200 yards down from the cafe, inside the stream and pathway by the golf course. They all camped out overnight in makeshift tents, rubbish and cans, and probably other substances, strewn everywhere. A Met Police spokesperson said, On Saturday, 5th of August, following into Sunday, 6th of August, police received reports of an illegal rave at Whitewebs Park. Officers attended the scene and the attendees of the rave dispersed. No arrests were made. Inquiries are ongoing. From the Enfield Independent, fire destroys home. A fire destroyed most of a two-storey terraced house last week. Firefighters were called to reports of the incident in Dorchester Avenue, Palmer's Green, at 3.25pm on Friday. They found the house in question ablaze. Fire also spread to two neighbouring properties. Fortunately, nobody was injured. The cause of the fire is still under investigation, the fire service has said. Footage of the incident shared on social media showing black smoke emerging from the front door as fire raged inside the house. Crews from Tottenham, Hornsey, Finchley, Edmonton and surrounding fire stations worked for over two hours and the fire was eventually brought under control by 5.33pm. The public were urged to avoid the area as firefighters continued to work at the scene into the evening. The brigade says its 999 control officers received 23 calls about the incident. Around 40 firefighters and six fire engines were sent to the scene. And this is from the Enfield Independent, titled Charges to Use Your Own Garden, Land Not Sold Under Right to Buy Scheme by Simon Allen. Enfield Council has been accused of making money out of residents with disgraceful charges for gardening and parking cars on its estates. The Civic Center recently sent a letter to people living in housing estates telling them they must have a license to cultivate or park on land in front of their houses if it is owned by the council. It says most front garden areas on council-bit housing estates were treated as communal, not included in tenancies, and usually not sold under the right-to-buy scheme, adding that the authority is now carrying out checks to ensure that all land use is properly licensed. Residents will need to pay £125 for a single car space, £250 for two spaces, and £150 for a license to cultivate. The council says the three-year licenses, which also come with the £30 application or renewal fee, are to regularize the use of council land adjacent to people's homes, which they do not own and is not part of their tenancy. But one tenant who lives in an estate in Bullsmore, who did not wish to be named, described the, discard, described the charges as an absolute disgrace and just a way for the council to make some money because they are strapped for cash. We got a letter the other day, she said. I really couldn't believe it. It's just another tax on people. 
We have always parked in our driveway. We paid for a drop-down curb, so we had to have a driveway installed many years ago, and now we have to pay for a license. The council says the licensee scheme has been in operation since 2002. A spokesman added, a letter was sent on behalf of the council to residents regarding communal garden areas, which are community assets that the council has a duty to protect. The main purpose of the license is to regularize the use of council land adjacent to people's homes, which they do not own and is not part of their tenancy. This is so they do not acquire rights over it, which may affect the community and the council's ability to manage its assets effectively. The scheme has been in operation since 2002, and the council will consider enforcement breaches on a case-by-case basis. Uh, This is a report in The Independent on North Enfield Cricket Club. North Enfield's friendly 11 impressed in a dominant draw with East Hearts Cavaliers and comfortable win over Pelican Cricket Club, writes William Munt. Cavaliers elected to field in a timed fixture at Strayfield Road, but David Brandon and Daniel Van Asingham got North Enfield off to a watchful start in the face of some tight bowling, with boundaries hard to come by due to the sodden outfield. Brandon reached a second-half century of the season, but Van Asingham skied an attempted sweep to fall for 19 before Ishan Tillakaratna produced a cameo 41 off 24 balls, to push the total past 100. Gary Orton, 38 not out, found the boundary on multiple occasions before allowing Brandon to farm the strike late in the innings to reach a magnificent maiden unbeaten 100 for the club. Miserly bowling by Adam Cluin and Oliver Munt saw Cavaliers drop anchor rather than chase 204, with the latter making the breakthrough when one of the openers edged to William Munt. Adam Jessup disturbed the stumps with his second delivery and after drinks combined with David Mallison to share four more wickets in eight overs. But despite Mallison and Tom Coughlin regularly beating the bat, the hosts ran out of time as the Cavaliers scraped home for a draw. North Enfield beat Pelican by 53 runs on Sunday after Brandon, 45, Oliver Scott, 43 and Talakaratna, 59 saw them to 207 for six from 40 overs. Josh Jones took four wickets and Talakaratna three as Pelicans were dismissed for 154. And now just a quick article of historical interest taken from the Enfield Society News, written by Stephen Gilbert. In 1728, James Bridges, the first Duke of Chandos, petitioned the Crown for permission to build a new lodge near Old Pond 
and includes 200 acres plus other land on Enfield Chase, totalling a further 250 acres. Although his petition was rejected, North Lodge was built later in the 18th century, after the former royal hunting ground of Enfield Chase had been enclosed in 1777. When the North Lodge estate was sold in 1799, it was valued at £8,000. The building was extended in the 19th and 20th centuries. North Lodge was at one time occupied by the Marchioness of Ely and was for some years the home of the Gundry family. The 1911 census records it as the residence of Sir William and Lady Gundry. In the 1930s, it was a private preparatory school known as Kilvington Hall. After the Second World War, North Lodge was purchased by Middlesex County Council to become a remand home called St Nicholas House. In 1993, it was sold to become the private St John's Senior School, which it remains to this day. We have reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening. So from the team of Mel, Alison, Jean, Sally and Bill on the controls, it's goodbye. Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet, put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. You can now also listen to our podcast by searching for Enfield Talking Newspaper on your favourite podcast app or listen to us on your smart speaker by saying Play Podcast Enfield Talking Newspaper. Don't forget, you can call Diane De Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 07899 854 582. The Enfield Talking newspaper will be with you again in one week's time.